This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Our focus right now is on recovering it, obviously. Uh, three aircraft shot down this weekend, or this past weekend. Do we have no idea whether this is a pattern or whether these are connected? Well, I think obviously there is some sort of pattern in there. The fact that we are seeing this uh, in a significant degree over the past week uh, is a cause for uh, interest and, and uh, uh, close attention. Uh, which is exactly what we're doing. We've employed signif- deployed significant resources here uh, to be able to recover the, uh, the object, as well as uh, diplomatic and uh, international engagements going on uh, to find more information and to get solutions on this. Dave Rubin, this is The Rubin Report. It's February 16th, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. Uh, Subscribe to all the appropriate places if you have not. And if you want to join us for the post-game show, rubinreport.locals.com. And it is Thursday, so we are doing a community Q&A. I will take an extra question or two today that you throw in live during the show. And the only way to do that is on Locals. So you can uh, join right now, get us your thoughts, they will come to me through the internet airwaves. It's wild, the technology that we've got these days. Uh, Before we get to the Q&A though, there was a video that was making the rounds that I wanted to talk about because I think it hits on so many of the themes that we talk about here, mostly on the cultural side, but but sort of politically as well. Uh, Chelsea Handler, who I'm sure most of you have heard of, she is a comedian, and I use air quotes around the word comedian there. She's mostly a hysterical leftist, activist. Her last uh, stand-up comedy tour, which I saw the sign for, I was at the Hard Rock Cafe, Hard Rock Hotel uh, in Hollywood, California. I was having some drinks with friends, having a lovely evening, and then this digital giant billboard of her face popped up, and it said, Chelsea Handler, vaccinated and horny tour. And I almost barfed. It was horrible. Anyway, uh, she's sort of, sort of one of these crazy leftists, everyone get vaxxed, everyone's a racist and a bigot, you know, whatever. Uh, she happens to have, she's never gotten married. Okay, that's fine. She's never had kids. That's also fine. Uh, but she put out this video, uh, this TikTok video about a day in the life of a childless woman. And there was all sorts of internet conversation as happens on the interwebs about it. Uh, take a look at this and then uh, we'll show you one or two other things. This is a day in the life of a childless woman. I wake up at 6 a.m. I remember that I have no kids to take to school, so I take an edible, masturbate, and go back to sleep. I wake up at 12.30 p.m. and get ready for a busy day of doing whatever the I feel like. I put on my most impractical and stylish shoes since I won't be chasing a child around the grocery store. I go to my fave spot in Paris to grab a croissant. I do a meditation sesh on the plane since I have no screaming kids, allowing me all the time in the world to become enlightened. The weightlessness of my existence has granted me superhuman powers. 
I teleport myself back home. Then I get ready for a night out with whatever hot guy I met on Raya that morning. I call up a babysitter and tell her that I don't need her since I still don't have kids. Now it's time for a workout, so I hit Mount Everest for a quick climb. I invent a time machine, go back in time, and kill Hitler. Freeze, you bastard! It's amazing what you can do when you have this much free time. Okay, so this video made the rounds, and it got people talking about having children or not having children, women of a certain age, etc., etc. Now, it's interesting because just purely at a, at a comedy level, usually with comedy, what you're trying to do is say something true, and you want to get as close to that line of truth while also making people laugh, and then they can start thinking things for themselves. What's interesting about what she did there was none of the things that she says there are things that she does on a given day, except I'm, I'm, I would accept masturbate and sleep as the two that she probably does every day. Oh no, eat an edible. She says eat an edible, so I'll give her that one. Let's count the ones. If she eats an edible, I'll give her that. She masturbates, I'll give her that. She sleeps, I'll give her that. She, uh, fancy shoes. All right, so so far she's four for four. I'm being a little harsher. Then she claimed to go to Paris, uh, the meditation. I'm guessing she doesn't do much of that. She went to the Louvre, apparently. Um, she teleported somewhere. Uh, she gets banged, uh, goes to Mount Everest, time machine, blah, blah. Okay, without getting lost in all the minutiae of all of this stuff, the point is that what she's showing you there is that the, all these things that she can do for purely for herself are actually what's making her happy. And what a lot of people were responding to on that is like, it's like, lady, you obviously don't do all of those things, right? And do you actually seem happy? Like you've become very rich doing what you want to do. I don't begrudge anyone becoming rich, obviously. I, I don't begrudge anyone doing whatever it is that they feel that they should do in their life, but there, there is, it seems to me that there is a slight difference between men and women when having children. And I say this with a certain sense of, as a new father, like I now am well aware of the, of the joys of fatherhood and the struggles and all of those things as well, uh, but that it seems fundamentally more, uh, almost, almost impossibly difficult for a woman to live a fully actualized life without children. That isn't to say you cannot, of course, but she's sort of faking this thing. Like you see how happy I am. I get to do all of this stuff for me. You suckers have to chase your kids and you don't get to wear fancy high heels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the interesting thing about this is she frames it all in the idea that if you just live for yourself and do whatever it is you want or make up things that you're doing, cause she's not really doing all those things, that somehow you will be happy. And that if you raise children and you actually make your life about bringing another life into this world and doing some work related to that, that that will somehow make you unhappy. And that's actually basically counter to almost everything that humans have learned about the course of life over the past several thousand years. So anyway, she got some pushback on it and then she pushed back on the pushback. She's guest hosting The Daily Show right now. I don't know if you remember, but The Daily Show uh, was at one time a, a show that people watched when Jon Stewart was host. They gave it to this Trevor Noah guy. He wrecked it. Then they finally separated ways. They fired him, obviously. And now they've just been rolling out guest host after guest host. They, and they just can't get anyone funny, right? They just cannot get anyone funny to do this because it's leftist drivel, which is the reverse of comedy. Anyway, she went on The Daily Show to address the blowback to her little TikTok video. I have made abundantly clear is that I do not want children. I say it on stage, I say it in interviews, it's the first thing I say to myself in the mirror when I wake up each morning. 
right before I tell myself, God, you're a dynamic woman. <laughs> don't respect me and quite frankly the feeling is mutual <laughs> and the fact is there are millions of women just like me but for some reason every single one of us at some point in our lives is shamed by society for not wanting a baby but these Fox News trolls are right about one thing I am miserable in fact I was just scrolling through my Instagram feed the other day realizing how miserable I am I'm miserable on the beach and then here I am miserable on the top of a mountain and then here I am miserable scuba diving and then I'm miserable again smoking a joint in a hot tub every day is truly a new circle of hell for me the simple truth is that I'm not having a kid because I'm happier without them and that's really not of anyone's concern but my own kids I just don't want them that's what's so great about nieces and nephews I love being an aunt I'm crushing that role guess who gave each one of them their first edible this girl yeah so she is the one who drugged her nieces and nephews that's pretty rewarding my nephew was here a couple weeks ago I was teaching him a mean crossover dribble I didn't think of drugging him but you know I'm old school uh, anyway, she is right to some extent that it's nobody's business but her own, but she is a public person who put this video out here and now she's getting blowback in that uh, she comes from parents who decided to have children. Like, it's it's the thing in life that keeps everything going and you kind of don't know why you're doing it. She also seems to think that people with children can't go to the beach or can't do any of these activities. I've been to the beach. I may go to the beach this weekend and I'm pretty sure my kids have COVID, but we're going to get out there because the beach seems like a good place to be when they do. Uh, anyway, related to all of this, uh, you may remember about, gosh, it's got to be about eight months or so ago, uh, I went on Jordan Peterson's new Daily Wire show. It was the first episode of the show. And we talked all about parenting. And in, in a certain sense, we were talking about gay parenting and the challenges specifically related to that. But then we broadened it to, to what the purpose of parenting is altogether. Uh, somebody put together this nice uh, minute-long little uh, snippet of that chat with Jordan. When you have a, a baby, say, it's, you can't believe it. And you can't believe that you're gonna be able to figure out what to do with this thing. Like, it's like, it's the most complicated thing you've ever had and no one has helped you figure out how to do it. So you're stuck. And then like three months later, it's like, you can't really imagine what life would be like without that baby. And then it's sort of like, this goes on forever. That's how it feels, but it doesn't. Right. You have little kids for four years, so you miss it at your peril and you don't get it back. And that's not, I know it with your career, you miss opportunities, you fall behind. This happens to women a lot. It's part of the reason for the pay gap. And it's really hard on women, you know, although no one knows what to do about it. For women, it often seems that no matter what they do, it's wrong, right? If they stay home with their kids, it's wrong. If they go to work, it's wrong. If they do both, it's wrong. And I, I'm, like, I'm not being smart about that. Mm -hmm. That's rough, man. Mm -hmm. But, I, but having said all that, I would say again, you got little kids for four years. Don't miss it. You will regret it. Which one of those rings more true to you? What Jordan just said there or what Chelsea Handler was saying previously? Like you all just kind of fundamentally know it. I am in no way mocking people that don't have children. I had 46 years on this earth without children. I probably should have done it earlier. And we rushed to have two quickly because I wanted to be able to play catch with them before I'm too old. You know what I mean? 
Um, but there is something bizarrely connected to modern feminism and this thing that we should only go for happiness and it's all about us and there isn't anything grander and we should throw away all the things of the past. And then at the end, is it leading someone like her to happiness? Like I get she has a lot of money and she can smoke a joint in a hot tub and drug her nieces and nephews and things of that nature. And that's all well and good, but that there perhaps is something more important here about the human experience going on. Anyway, it was causing a real uh, firestorm on the internet. I wanted to give my two cents on that. I would love to hear your thoughts. So I'll, I'll take a look in the post game show. We'll discuss it uh, on the locals crew. Uh, with the locals crew and uh, let's get to the community q a uh, mcquade says seeing how we're in a proxy war against russia is it too far of a stretch to believe the dc democrats who are currently pulling strings are timing an eventual u.s military troop conflict with russia officially bringing our nation into a state of war before the 2024 election first off I completely agree with you. We are in a proxy war. We have not declared war. We often do military adventures without declaring war. The, the most fun one for me, remember when, we, when Obama uh, had us bombing Libya and he didn't have to go to Congress because he said it wasn't a war, it was a kinetic military action. It was an Xbox kinetic military action. Uh, so this is what we do. We bomb Syria, we bomb countries all over the world, and we say, oh, these aren't specific war things. I'm fairly certain if somebody from, say, across the world bombed us, we might say it's a war. Although we did just have a Chinese spy balloon here, and we didn't say that was a war. So who, who knows in these topsy-turvy times that we live in? Uh, but yes, we are in some sort of proxy war, if for no other reason than we are funding it. We have given Ukraine a hundred billion dollars. We have no idea where that money is. We have no idea what it's been spent on. It obviously is a giant money laundering scheme. Uh, but your question is, do you think that the Dems will ramp this thing up before 2024? Look, at wartime, people reflexively vote for the incumbent because you, everything's crazy. The nuclear bomb could be dropped and blah, 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 and you're scared and we can't go through a regime change in the middle of that. It'll be too scary. We it, ah. So yes, I think there is a chance that the war will go hot before then. Like, I don't know exactly what I mean by hot, but again, you push Putin to the limit. He has nukes. So all of these people every day along the, the path of this war, it, there are people have been saying, if we just give him more tanks, if we just give him more planes, if he just has more cash, if he just has more this or that. And at the end, he's got the ultimate weapon. At the end, he's got the Death Star, right? And we've got some Death Stars too. That could end up very horribly. So I don't know what they would do. I, you know, the, the, the counter argument to that obviously is that if this thing keeps getting ramped up and people start seeing, boy, this administration really bungled this whole thing, then that does hurt the Dems in the, in the uh, next election cycle. So we shall see. Uh, Quinn says, I've been working hard lately and haven't been able to keep up with the daily episodes. Would you consider doing a weekly edit wrap up of key segments? Maybe one from the show and one from the post show segments. Thanks for the consideration. Well, Connor, are you looking for more work? Brock. All right. We're going to flip a coin later and see if someone is willing to do a little more work. My guys are seriously overloaded at the moment. Uh, those of you that are in the locals community, you know, we're hiring an intern. We're going to actually pay. We pay for interns. I don't believe in slave labor or abusing young people, unlike Chelsea Handler. Um, but uh, I think I actually do think that's an interesting idea, like sort of a, a weekly recap kind of thing. Um, so stay tuned. Stay tuned on that. Uh, and if you want to send a resume 
over to the Rubin Report. Uh, if you're just, whatever it is, intern, you got some skills, you're dedicated, you want to live in Florida, you're a good human being, jobs at rubinreport.com. Uh, Kathy says, Dave, what would you and David like us to pray for you and the boys today? I do frequently pray the prayer of protection, Psalm 91, over you and your family. Wow, um, that's very kind of you. Uh, well, right now we just, the prayer of protection probably would work. Uh, David has COVID. The kids likely have COVID. You know, the thing with the kids and COVID, you're really supposed to stick the freaking swab up their nose to get the snot. These kids are snotty and gooey and yeah. It's like a lot of goo everywhere, um, but you don't want to stick a, a swab up a kid's nose. So we've sort of just agreed. It's kind of irrelevant whether they technically have COVID or not, but we do know that David has it. For some reason, I'm fine. Um, whatever it is what it is. I, I drink a little water in the morning. I always feel like that probably does a little, you know, I get up, brush my teeth, have a little water. I feel like that's like the key to the whole operation here. Um, so we could use, I guess, a prayer for just continued health. He's, he's busting his butt down there because, you know, when I'm up here, uh, doing the show and doing uh, other TV things and everything else. Like I, he has no help down there. So it, there's a lot going on down there. But the second the show's over, I throw on a ratty ass t-shirt and I'm down there getting spit up on and everything else. Justin and Luke are doing a bit better right now. It's, it's mostly David, but we, we got to get him right. I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Uh, Nick says, uh, what are your thoughts on Spencer Clavin's conspiracy theory that gay Pete is actually a closeted heterosexual who is trying to check a box. Well, hold on, let's, let's see, that's an interesting theory. Why don't we all close our eyes for a moment? Okay, now picture gay Pete. Now picture him banging a chick. Is this working for anyone? I like you all close your eyes, that was good. <laughs> it's not working for anybody. Nobody can picture gay Pete banging a chick. So that's an interesting theory by Spencer. No, I do believe he's gay, which who can, I just could not care less. I could not care less. Can you do your job? I don't care who you sleep with. Can you do your job? Are you a competent individual worthy of the position you've been put in? But wouldn't that be funny? I mean, that will happen soon enough. Like, you know, it's happening soon enough. The more they go for these diversity hires, people are like, oh yeah, in college, I hooked up with the dude once. I'm bi-curious, uh, make me president. <laughs> uh, Chef says, how do you and David decompress? Um, it's gotten a little more difficult for sure, right? Like the kid thing does change things. So like in the old days, pre-kids, when we were living that Chelsea Handler life, you know, I could be lounging in the pool on a Saturday, you know, with a uh, little, little tequila, drink, you know, just enjoying myself like that. Like that sort of thing is gone now at the, at least temporarily, right? Um, how do we, well, right now at the end of the day, the kids now actually are like almost synced up with the sleep situation. So by like 7.30, they're pretty much out. I always try, I'm doing most of the cooking these days. David's a great chef, but I've really taken over in that department and I love it because I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not paying attention to anything else. Made a really great uh, skirt steak last night with some uh, potatoes and some salad. Um, so we try to, I always set the table like actual placemat cloth napkin. Like I try light a candle, like little music, like try to have some kind of normalcy at that point. And then, uh, and then if they're actually sleeping, um, we try to watch something. We just started uh, The Last of Us, which is on HBO. It is, uh, it's a new zombie movie, uh, show. It's sort of like, you know, it's a little bit like Walking Dead, a little bit like Resident Evil. Uh, watched episode, uh, got through episode three last night. So I'm, I'm enjoying that so far. Yeah. So it's usually that sort of thing. Almost every episode of anything that we watch, I fall asleep on the couch. Then I have to 
pick it up before he starts the next day and we rinse and recycle and do it over again. Uh, Surus, and also we take walks every morning. That actually is the, the decompressed thing. Like I, we wake up and as long as the weather is fine, which it's really been great, like we get the kids out on a walk. It was really nice and crisp today, the air, and yeah, that, that always helps. Uh, Surus says, Dave, if DeSantis would become president, do you have concerns about the direction of Florida in light of the influx of New Yorkers and Californians that could potentially change the red and vote in a progressive? You know, I don't really have that concern here. I have met so many people, so many people who are the, the new refugees into Florida and everyone, now I get it, a self-selected group of people are the type of the types that come up to me if I'm out in the store or whatever, but everybody seems to get it. I talk to all of, all of the people that I'm working with, whether it's my landscaper or electrician or plumber or whatever, uh, waitress, I talk, and like everyone's kind of feeling good about this place. So it really, I see in years past before COVID, when people moved around the country, people moved because, oh, I got a job in a new place. You know, I want to be in slightly better weather, something like that. And they didn't fully connect the politics to why they were moving. We now know that quite literally millions of people have migrated across the country because of COVID related policies and how bad things are in blue states. And of course, contrasting that with how good things are in red states. So I really do think people get it. So I'm not too worried about that. You know, the other thing here in Florida is that his win was so massive, 20 points, that something like that doesn't get degraded over one election cycle or even two election cycles. They've got super majorities on both sides of the house. I think they're absolutely, whether he runs for president or not, they're talking about what that bench looks like, like who comes after him, how do we continue all the success here? So I'm not particularly worried about that. Uh, but as I've said the last couple of days, the, the thing that I am somewhat concerned about is if he goes and you know he gets into this blowout with Trump and Trump just does all of the most evil stuff imaginable. And then let's say DeSantis doesn't get the nomination or gets the nomination and loses, which would be like really unimaginable. Does he come back here and then he's irreparably damaged and he's, and he's just a good guy. And I, you know, my feelings on that, you, we should help good people when they get in the fight. So there are some concerns there, but um, I think he has to do what he thinks is right. And I think the people of Florida are already doing that in their actions and their voting. So I think we're going to be okay. Uh, Kevin says, how cool do you feel watching Jordan and Victor on a podcast and JP is wearing a tie with your name on it? I think we have a picture of this thing. So this is Jordan, obviously that's Jordan Peterson. And there's this artist, Jordan had told me about this a couple weeks ago that sent him a bunch of ties and pocket squares. And uh, I think some, some other things, uh, some other pieces of fabric with a whole bunch of the, the intellectual dark web crew. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson was the guest that he was on with. And I don't know how, if Jordan intentionally folded it that way or what, but if you look at his pocket square, that's the Reuben right there. And I think I'm on the tie as well. And a couple other, I think the Weinsteins are on there. I think Rogan is on there and a few other people. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool. It's weird. I'll tell you, it's weird. Like things like that happen or even this nonsense that's going on with NewsGuard right now where I'm, I mean, NewsGuard is literally trying to cancel the show right now. And this is a company that is, this is a, well, a company. It is a nonprofit funded by the government and, and lefty agents that is in cahoots with the World Economic Forum. And they're literally coming after me right now. Uh, I tweeted out a video this morning. I mean, they work with the World Economic Forum. You could imagine after what I've been saying about the World Economic Forum for the last month, they would not be thrilled with me. But then I see these things, like we get emails from NewsGuard or someone writes like a piece about me and I'm like, 
boy, if you just read all this nonsense, you'd think that Dave Rubin's a real dick, but it's just, it's just not true. So it's all, it's all kind of funny, but it's nice when it shows up in a, in a cool piece of art or clothing or something like that. Uh, Jeff says, what are your thoughts on Nikki Haley's announcement and her presidential campaign so far? So first off, I, I really like Nikki Haley. I know that amongst the base, especially the most Trump uh, base, there seems to be some anger over Nikki Haley, which mostly stems from right after January 6th, that they felt that she did not defend Trump the way that she should. So let's just put that over here for a second. In terms of everything that she's done in her career, she was an unbelievably successful governor of South Carolina. Like there's just no doubt about that. Like South Carolina even now is flourishing in large part because of her. Most people, most sane people would agree with that. Uh, there's this feeling also from the base that she's more of a neocon. She's a warmonger, except uh, I don't know what wars she's been for. She actually was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. under Donald Trump, who was fighting for all of Donald Trump's America First policies. And she was our U.N. ambassador as all of these deals, uh, these peace deals were being signed in the Middle East and everything else. I also know her a bit personally. We've had dinner a few times. She's, a, she's just a lovely person. So I don't know what all the, the animosity is towards her, but I think she would certainly be a great part of any administration and, and I think that getting more people in is good. You know, if, if at the end of the day, we have 10 people and like, look what the Democrats put up last time, right? Between, between Pete and, you know, Bernie the socialist and then Elizabeth Warren, the other socialist, and who is the woman with the crystals and the rocks, Marianne Williamson, like these bananas people. And then everyone knew that the main guy had dementia. Like, look at that clown show of people they put up there. If the Republicans come out this time, and let's, let's assume uh, putting aside some of Trump's behavior lately, like, so you get Trump, okay. You get DeSantis, okay. You get Nikki Haley, maybe you get Tim Scott. Uh, you maybe get a couple other people and then it starts looking like a decent group of people. And maybe we all have some policy disagreements, but these people aren't bananas. They don't hate and want to disassemble America. So I, I think there's a rich opportunity there. I think there may be another question about that. Uh, so I'll pause for just a moment. Uh, Florida Man Chuck says, who is your favorite golden girl and why? I believe I've addressed this once or twice on the show, but, but Dorothy... Zbornak, played by B. Arthur, was my favorite Golden Girl. First off, you could, I go in phases with all the Golden Girls. Um, and actually, to get to a question from earlier, one of the things we do to decompress, Sundays, it's gotten a little harder with the kids now, but because we can't just be out lounging in the pool, we just throw on Hulu, I'll just pick a random season of the Golden Girls, and we'll, we'll kind of watch in and out for a couple hours. Just, it's just comedy perfection, 1985 to 1992, seven seasons of brilliance. And I, in my opinion, the show got better each season along. I think season seven is as good as it ever was, if, if not better than it ever was. But Dorothy, Dorothy was the conscience of the group. She was sort of the sane one, right? So Blanche was the slut, Rose was kind of the moron, Sophia was the quippy one. Dorothy was sort of the sane glue of the whole thing. And there's an episode, I've described it on the show once or twice before, where she describes herself, I think she even says she's a classical liberal or an old school liberal because she's arguing with Stan, her ex-husband's cousin, Magda, who's coming from the Czech Republic, a, a communist country, and she's talking about how America has too many choices and Dorothy defends America and, and liberalism and all of those, the liberalism in the right sense of liberalism. Uh, and also Dorothy, like, she's just, uh, B. Arthur, just an incredible actress. I mean, the side eye that she could give, like, just that pause, just, just perfect. Uh, the Valencias say, do you think Trump's campaign may have been infiltrated by Democrat operatives? The absolute ridiculous and strategically moronic things he has said of late on DeSantis are just mind boggling. 
it's not like there's not a precedent set on him allying himself with buffoons in his inner circle. Yeah. So look again, and I'll keep saying this and you know, we're reaching out to the Trump people right now because I would love to sit down with him. I'll gladly go there to do it. And all of those things, there is a chance I will be voting for him. But the behavior over the last couple of weeks, just sitting at Mar-a-Lago, like, are you building out a team? Who, who is the team you announced two months ago? So who have you hired? What, what is your team? Or are you just gonna sit there and put things on Truth Social, you know, calling him Ron DeSanctimonious and going after the guy who hasn't even announced and calling him a rhino and a, and a globalist. And it's like, well, you did support him twice for governor and credit yourself for getting him elected and all of those things. It's like, it, I, I just don't think that thing's gonna work anymore. I think we're past it. I think that most of us just want competency and decency. And I think that that's why DeSantis has played this thing so well. Putting aside that I like the guy, he is just governing for the people and he's not getting involved in all the nonsense, right? They ask him, well, Trump said this about you. And he's like, look, I'm, I'm gonna get attacked, uh, but I'm here to govern. I'm here to do the right thing by, by the Floridians. And I think that's the right move on this thing. I, I don't know that the, the game, that thing, that the trolling game and that thing, which, which we've all enjoyed to some degree and it was necessary to expose a lot of the system. It was necessary to show what Hillary Clinton was and all that stuff. I just don't know that it's gonna work this time. And I certainly don't know that it's gonna work on a guy like DeSantis who really has been the standard bearer for what's been right in America politically over the last couple of years. Like all, you're gonna do that just because you think you have to be president? Like. Mm, I, don't, I don't know that that's fully gonna work. But your question was, do I think Democrats have infiltrated the campaign? I mean, I, I have no evidence of that specifically. I think it is possible that, that to some degree, Trump is losing a little bit of his, uh, his magic touch related to what people want. You know, he's been off Twitter for so long. He's doing the truth thing and truth has great uh, traction for sure. Truth Social, has, we post on Truth Social, it's got great traction but he's only getting the base there. And I think maybe what's happening is that, that when you're only hearing the response from the base or you're only hanging out at Mar-a-Lago and people are only coming to see you all the time, meaning you're not on the road as much, you're not around first responders or military people or just the average mom and pop. You know, he used to just show up at things all the time and, and get huge applause. You don't go to stadiums anymore, a sports game and, and be cheered on. I think maybe he's losing his touch for a little bit of that stuff. And, and I actually say all of this with, uh, I don't say love, I don't know if it's love, but I say it all with like, we don't have to do this, man, like the burn down thing, we don't have to do, there might be a way to, to work together here, but he's throwing the kitchen sink out right now. It might be a little bit early for that. Uh, Sam says, what is your favorite TV episode of all time? I could give you many episodes of The Golden Girls, I could give you many episodes of Seinfeld, however, I think the best episode of television ever was a show on HBO, probably this has gotta be around 2002 to 2009 maybe, something like that. Get me the years on this show. Um, Six Feet Under on HBO. Did any of you guys watch Six Feet Under? It's a little bit before your time, man. Uh, it was an absolutely wonderful show about a family who owned a mortuary. And every episode, it was on Sunday nights, every episode began with somebody, a random character dying. And then they would in essence have to deal with the funeral of that person uh, in each episode. But then you'd really learn a whole bunch more about the family. And it was un like this guy, I think Alan Ball was the creator and the director. And he had, he's the guy that did, um, 
American Beauty, which was also which was a wonderful, wonderful movie uh, about twenty some odd years ago. Uh, but what was it was just like an unbelievably human, painful like you'd be crying and laughing at the exact same time. And for those of you that remember the episode, uh, the final episode. They, they do what a lot of TV shows have subsequently done to end the show. A whole bunch of shows have done this since where they just flash forward for the next like 50 years. They just show you what happens to all of the people. They show all of the characters that you've loved over those years, aging and dying and what happens to their life. And they do it with a beautiful song by, uh, is it Mia? Or I forget what her name was, um, but really great. You could, even if you haven't watched the show, you could probably appreciate if you just Google um, Six Feet Under last episode or last few minutes. It's, it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, Talway says, other, oh, and the show was on HBO from 2001 to 2005. Uh, Talway says, other than Trump, Haley and DeSantis, who else do you see as a strong Republican presidential candidate for 2024? Um, well, I think Mike Pompeo, who I interviewed a couple weeks ago, I was pretty impressed by him. You know, look, the guy's got a great pedigree, head of the CIA, former secretary of state. Uh, I'm not on board some of his Ukraine stuff because he really just wanted to just keep arming Ukraine. Like we have to just arm them to defeat Russia. I just don't see that as something, but he clearly has a wide breadth of knowledge. I was really, uh, I thought he was kind of pleasant, like bizarrely pleasant. I didn't know if he was going to be like kind of gruff or whatever, but he, we chatted for a little bit before the Skype session, you know, before we started recording it was kind of fun and funny and he watches the show and he knew things about me. Just struck me as a nice guy. Um, I think maybe Tim Scott could get involved, which would be great. Then we'd have uh, two South Carolinians uh, going for it. Who else might get involved? I mean, there's always, oh, well, now I'm hearing that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is going to run. That seems to be something that people are talking about. And you guys, Vivek has been on the show. I've done some events with him over the years. He is a, he is a VC guy worth a couple hundred million bucks who's really fighting ESG uh, and making sure that this nonsensical diversity, equity, and inclusion a memo that has now infected all of these companies. He's working to really get that out. Will, would a guy like him become president? Probably not. His best, his best sort of uh, runway with it would be that he'd become like a Ross Perot type, but he might help get some of those ideas out there and that is good. And then of course, the other guy that, that apparently is running, I don't know anything officially yet, but I'll, I'll text him after the show, uh, is uh, Larry Elder has been hinting at it for quite some time. And uh, Larry, again, it's like, I don't know that he would become president, right? Like the top tier guys, you've got your Trump, your DeSantis. I think you could probably put Nikki Haley in there, maybe one or two other people, but then there's a bunch of other people that run and then it helps get ideas out there. And that is worth it, right? That absolutely is worth it. Uh, Rand Paul has run for president, I think twice. And just by getting on the stage, it helps strengthen some libertarian ideas. So, you know, running is also a bit of jockeying for position. You know, somebody might be running because they, they don't fully think they're going to become president, but they'd like to be in an administration or they'd like to be VP. I mean, these are all the games that, that gets played throughout a campaign. Uh, Fred says, what are your thoughts on James O'Keefe possibly being removed by uh, Project Veritas uh, or from Project Veritas by the board. So if you didn't hear about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was this unbelievable Project Veritas uh, video where they basically do their guerrilla filming and they get a executive at Pfizer to admit that not only are they doing gain of function research, but like they're doing it at a very sort of scary level, fully and fully because they just want to put more vaccines out there to make more money all hell broke loose. We showed you the guys the video and I'm sure most of you have seen it anyway. Anyway, about two weeks later after this crazily viral video, I mean, the thing got seen at least 30 million times. 
suddenly they announced that uh, James O'Keefe, that I think 16 employees had said he was harassing them and a whole bunch of other stuff. It sounded like he was gonna get fired, but I'm told he, he is staying on his head, yeah? So he is staying on his head of Veritas. They'll have to do some internal cleanup of their stuff. Look, as long as he didn't break the law, um, you know, if he treated employees poorly, uh, you would hope that he would not do that, but now hopefully they have an HR department and they'll deal with that. Sounds like maybe he was spending some of the cash on, on you know, like fancy hotel rooms and things like that. Like you got to clean up that, but that's HR stuff to deal with. But as long as, you know, he didn't doctor a video, you know, do something that was completely against the mission of Project Veritas, then I think you give the guy a second chance. So it sounds like that's what the board is going to do there. And that seems pretty solid to me. Uh, Curtis says, Dave, in raising your boys, would you focus on Jordan Peterson's tenant, the pursuit of happiness is a pointless goal? Yeah, and I've really come around on that one. I've really come around on that one. People always say, as long as you're happy, do whatever you want, as long as you're happy. And it doesn't really make sense. It's like most of the things that we get, what do I always say about the left? Like you just have to listen to them for one second and then you just peel off that, that quick veneer of what sounds right and then you find underneath it is something much worse. Your, your goal should not be happiness. Happiness should be a, a, a sidebar, a valuable sidebar to something that gives you purpose. There is something in every single person, every single one of you watching this there is something that you have that you want to do um, and you must try to do it. I, I think you have to try to do it because if you try to do it, A, you might get it. And the process of trying to get it, whether, whether it's I want to build cars, I want to be a stand-up comedian, whatever the hell it is you want to do, like you have some opportunity to go get it and the adventure of getting it is what makes you a strong, full person. And then you will find happiness within that. But if you say, my goal is just to be happy, whatever that means, first off, it's, it's ridiculously amorphous, right? My goal is just to be happy. Well, what does that mean? My goal is to have a yacht. My goal is to do all of the things that Chelsea Handler said she was doing every morning, which she actually isn't doing. Like, will that just bring you, my, my goal is just to get pleasure all the time. I like pleasure, but it can't be the only driver of what you do. So uh, yeah, I hope that we, actually David and I did talk about it for about a half hour last night because they, they suddenly do seem like they're getting a bit older and we're like, holy cow, like this, this really is gonna happen fast. And we were talking about how like, you know, it will be our job to, to send these kids out into the world like in a somewhat sensible way. And God only knows where the world will be in 18 years, like when we're like passing them off to the world. And it's like, hopefully we will have done a decent enough job that whether, <laughs> The metaverse has taken over or the zombie apocalypse is here or maybe things got corrected and we'll have given them all the tools to go into a corrected world that they can do awesome, awesome things in. Like any of those things are possible. Um, but I don't think the goal should be, you. well, just go be happy. It just doesn't mean anything. It, it actually, it, it's the reverse of what the point of it all is. The point is purpose. Find something you want to do. And again, you may not, accomplish that exactly, but that challenge and going through that thing, trust me, there were plenty of times over the years when, when I was doing stand-up and I was on the road and like I was broke and just like, it just was not working. You know what I mean? It had nothing to do with not being good or anything like that. Like it's, it's just hard to do anything that's worth doing. Everyone would want to be a TV personality or a, like everyone would want to be a basketball player or a football player, but it's hard as hell to do. But I don't think anyone who has even the guys that don't make it, take a guy, you could take a guy that's like, 
like we'll do a sports version of this. You know, a, a, he's a pretty solid basketball player, plays in college, really wants to get to the NBA, never makes it to the NBA. Maybe he makes it to the CBA, or I don't even know if that exists anymore, but like a lower league where he plays in Europe and he bounces around and he never does it. And now he's 37 and he's on the other, he's older now and he's got to retire and find something else to do. Do you think at the end of giving, if he gave it his all, like really gave it his all, you think at the end he's like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think that that's probably the purpose uh, of all of this. Tony says, recently I've been watching old videos of Craig Ferguson reminiscing of the days when late night TV was actually funny. Do you think in the coming years we will see a return to, to normalcy in comedy and entertainment? These woke companies can only lose money for so long before they go completely irrelevant. I certainly hope so. And you know, I've been saying how I've been watching old Johnny Carson videos. I've had uh, Phoenix watching some old Johnny Carson stuff. I, I would love, I mean, we've been talking about maybe doing some kind of other late night thing, live studio audience thing. So we're, we're thinking about that. That is the one thing that I miss when I'm, when I'm just in here talking to the camera. Like I do miss that interaction and that's why I love going on the road so much. And I also am watching, I'm watching a whole bunch of old stuff lately. Like that, that's been my thing. I watched the, this is going to date me now. I watched the last episode of the Carol Burnett show last night. Uh, the show was on for, for 11 years. Give me the years on the Carol Burnett show. I'm gonna say it was probably about 77 to 88. No, 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 no. It's gotta be earlier than that. 71 to 82, something like that. How am I doing? Yeah, we're gonna find it. The Carol Burnett show. Um, and you know, she did all these amazing sketches and she would walk out in front of the crowd first and she would take some questions. And it was, I just always, I just always really enjoyed her. Man, I was way off, 67 to 78. Jeez, that was a long time ago. Um, but I do find that watching some of those old things, I've watched a couple of Dick Cavett interviews. I watched one of uh, Lucille Ball the other day. You know, there's something, there was something good in television. It's very easy for us to all be like, ah, Hollywood's just all awful. And it was always all awful and everything else. But it really wasn't. Like you watch Johnny Carson interview Carl Sagan in 1978 and, and talk about philosophy and talk about astronomy and, and extraterrestrials. And it was thoughtful and it was interesting. It's only in this last, I don't know, it, it, could, it could be 20 years, but it's, it's really exacerbated obviously in the last 10 years where it became hyper-partisan and overly produced and slick and gross. And where you'd turn on late night TV where you used to, you know, a guy like Jay Leno, you didn't really know his political opinions, but you knew it was kind of light and most likely you could fall asleep watching it and not feel hysterical, right? Where now it's like you turn on, you know, Fallon or Kimmel or one of these other clowns and they're demanding you all get vaxxed. And it's like, why the hell would you go to sleep watching that? Like, why would you do it to yourself? So I do think there will be a comeback. This is part of why, it's part of why we started Locals. It's part of why we're doing what we're doing with Rumble. We need new everything, right? Like people are tuning out of those things. They really, really are. It's why I constantly, I would say the one struggle I have doing this show, which I'm, I freaking love today more than, than ever. Like I love what we're doing and the numbers are proving it out and all of those things. But there's always this constant struggle between, okay, should I address what's going on on MSNBC and CNN and the lunacy of the view, or do we just completely go our other way? And I, what I've tried, what we've sort of internally discussed is that we have to address it to some degree because we still have to save people. There aren't enough of us yet that have been red-pilled on that stuff to just completely ignore it as if it has no relevance. But my goal would be that we do this long enough and we keep going and going and going and building something great that hopefully is a little bit closer to the truth 
and, and that those things will continue to crumble and that we'll have paved a road for the people that are finally, like every day, I, I just know it, every day there is someone that is watching The View going, this is not making and then maybe somebody says to them, have you, have you seen that Dave Rubin guy? You know, his show's on at 11 a.m. Eastern too. Maybe you want to watch that or you can watch it later because it's on the computer machine and, and maybe check that out. And he's kind of doing uh, the same topics as The View, but saying completely different things about it. You might find that interesting. I think we can keep bringing those people over. I don't think they're bringing in new people. Who is the young person that, that is like, you know, I'm 16 years old. I'm going to watch CNN and The View and learn about the world. Like, I don't think that person exists, but there is a 16-year-old out there who is watching this or a 16-year-old out there who is watching Rogan. And it doesn't mean we're right about all of these things, right? But like, the, the shift has happened and we just have to continue playing through and continue fighting the World Economic Forum and NewsGuard and the rest of the awful human beings who would like to stop us. On that note, we will do a post-game show momentarily. If you'd like to join us, it's at rubenreport.locals.com. We'll throw in a couple extra questions and comments. My full interview with Spencer Clavin, my buddy, his new book uh, came out this week and uh, we, did about, we did like a half hour abbreviated version. It's called How to Save the West. Uh, that is up right now across platforms. My interview with Pete Bogosian, who is a lefty and still believes he is a good liberal. We both watched the State of the Union and saw it very, very differently. So we decided to just do a sit down and talk it out. It's really interesting. I think you'll enjoy it. We leave you with a Kamala Harris cold close and I will see. No, we're not doing a Kamala. Oh, we're doing the Joe Biden. Yeah, we switched it at the last second. We leave you with a Joe Biden cold close and I will see uh, the rest of you momentarily. Well, here is the God's truth. Close your eyes. Now close your eyes. Go on. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm gonna ask you all to close your eyes. 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 Keep your eyes shut. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Remember what you saw on television. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.